Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. That's right. We love closure, and it has been extremely helpful for us in our day-to-day programming life. It's something that we use every day, something that we love to use every day. And so we are here to talk about closure with you and tell you what we've learned, what we like, maybe where we got stuck, where we got tripped up, all of the closure things. Yeah, we like to d- deep dive into a, a topic um, and, and pull it apart, really marinating it. So uh, buckle in. Um, it's, it's, time, it's time for some, some real closure talk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yes. actually we're, it's Let's time get for some real about closure <laughs> <laughs> it's time for some more core closure talk um and actually we're going to talk and uh, you know we're, we're we're closer to the core than we were in the past um because we're going to talk about conditionals and 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 things that are built to to branch in our code so yeah, it's uh, interesting. We've been working through various core functions and macros and you know core constructs, maybe we could say, in general, for a couple months now, months of recording, and, and we have not yet covered conditionals, because why? Like, how could you do a whole episode just on if and when and case and cond? and things like that, right? I mean, conditionals are so simple, so so... Boy, yeah, pre- be prepared to be bored with this episode, I guess, right? <laughs> as we just well, as we go through all the obvious things. <laughs> yes, you will you will either be bored or you won't. I guess there's a bit of a conditional there too. Um I think this is well, interesting because it, I think it, this is the first yeah. of this series of core episodes that where we're not talking about uh any functions at all. Um everything that we're gonna talk about today is either macros or, or a special form. And um, so this is, it's kind of one of the things that's interesting about all these is that, you know, you when you when you want to branch in your code, you can't do what closure normally does. When, it, when, when you call a function in closure, it goes through each of the arguments and evaluates each of those first, and then passes the return, the, the, those values to the function. But in every case, <laughs> in every time you, you want to branch, you want to not evaluate all of the leaves until you decide which leaf you want to evaluate, and then you want to evaluate it. Um, so it right. requires special support by the closure compiler um, to, 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 to enable that. Yeah, I love how most of these are done with macros, how it didn't, they don't all have to be special forms. They can be constructed using macros, which is which is really neat. I think if is the only special form here. I don't know, Nate. You you researched that. I I did not research which one was the special form, but I know if is a special form. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is if is the special form, and all of the other ones except in case are all built on if. They're all just you know code that mounts on top of if. So if is the if is the so to speak the core the chorus of the core today. It's the one that actually will, you know, execute a conditional, uh, you know, a, a, a predicate, and then, and then only, only execute one of the two, you know, um, either the, the, the true condition or the, uh, or the else condition. It won't, it won't evaluate both of them before, before it decides. And all these other ones are macros that basically build up on top of if. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we just take if, 
for granted uh, coming from any other programming language where if also exists in if and if else. In closure, of course, we don't need to write the word else. The second thing past if is the else. <laughs> but we just take we just take the fact that that thing is not evaluated unless the condition is met as as a given. But if you look, if you were to just look at, if we were to replace the word if and put foobar there and you were to look at the code, then it wouldn't be obvious if you didn't understand that if was a special form, that it wasn't just some function that took two, two arguments. And, and you might even wonder, wow, why, why are these expressions being passed into this function? <laughs> so huge, you know, but it's, it's that ability for a foreclosure, either with a macro or with if as a special form, to be able to delay evaluation, right? You, like you can you can actually pass the expression in macros, you can pass the code block itself around as a thing and ensure that it doesn't get evaluated uh, unless you really want to. And so this is not just handy, of course, in the case of if and when and conditionals, but it's handy in things like logging macros. So if you want to log debug and you you don't actually want the parameters of that log debug <laughs> to be evaluated unless you have debug logging on, right? And so that that form of waiting to evaluate is is taken for granted, but yet so very, very important. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I remember in other in other languages, uh, Perl and Python particularly, you have to, if you have a particularly uh, complex thing you want to debug log, you, you, you wrap it in a, if am I in debug logging mode or is that debug level enabled? Um, but in closure, you don't have to worry about that because of the, the evaluation. But at some point in time, you do have to, at the compiler level, decide, do I evaluate or not evaluate that? And that's why basically all these are built on if, and 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 if you if you go into the closure source code and actually like look at the way that it's in a, I believe a, fi- a file called compiler.java, and um and it's really interesting because if is actually turned into bytecode or I mean you can eval it too but it's actually turned into bytecode, um and so it's actually calling like the Java if you know at, at some level there which is just fascinating I think um. Because you know you're you're on this this huge tower of of nice abstractions that we live in enclosure, but at some level it has to get down to you know brass tacks. It has to actually decide and then evaluate one side of the of the of the conditional, and 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 it just it has to hit Java at some point, you know. Yeah, and it is worth mentioning that macros are not the only way necessarily to delay or avoid code evaluation. Mm, mm, the yeah. other the other way is with a function definition. So, of course, a function definition has to have special at some point in time you need special compiler <laughs> support for stating the thing <laughs> without running the thing, right. right? But but you can wrap up code in in a no arg like a no argument function literal or no argument function definition and then that's generally called a thunk. Right. So it's it's a function that you just it doesn't take any arguments. Its sole purpose is to just delay evaluation until you're ready to run it. And so so macros are really nice when you you want delayed evaluation for syntactic reasons, for code reasons. Thunks are really nice when you want to be able to pass around code blocks and delay evaluation until some future point when you're ready to actually run the thing based on on application logic. 
Right. It's kind of if you want to dynamically do it. Um, and, and syntactically, it's kind of you're, you're already baking it into your program. And so a macro is just is a good way of, of doing that without having to have the extra ceremony. Um, right. And so when you get kind of off into Lambda calculus and all this stuff, you know, thunks becomes kind of a way to do a similar thing in in uh, in sort of this very elegant minimalist construct. But since closure is all about the practical, <laughs> we we have these body these like body blocks that these macros allow us to put in these conditionals um, for things like win and, and things like that, where we get to conveniently delay evaluation without having to thunk everything. <laughs> yes, and we can get through our days without saying the word thunk, which is yes, a, goal, yes. a goal of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody thunk of it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, so. yeah, I think the yeah. the... The, the you know the, the definitely the place to start when we talk about conditionals is it was with if I mean if, if is if is kind of something you have to understand if you are a programmer you know there's and it's also essential because at some point in time you have to make decisions in your code you you, you don't have just one, just one thread of execution um, I mean this is I guess it's not a bash script um, at some point in time you want to branch you want to change the way your behavior based on on, on on some on some predicate and so so if if is 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 the is the basis of that um and and we have yeah. you know i, I actually did definitely with. like with if with if you know there's two sides and and both sides return a value closure all expressions re- return values unless you're unless you're uh, intentionally trying to return nil and yeah. so so whereas like in something like javascript you have if expressions that don't return values, and then you have the ternary operator, which is essentially an if expression that does return a value, and you have that inconsistency there. In closure, we just have if, and it always returns a value, always produces a value. And, and so you can use if like you would use a ternary operator in JavaScript also, right? You can use it for the its longer form where you have if and then maybe two do bodies, or you can use it just in one little short expression where you have if, a condition, and then two possible values that you would produce depending on the condition. Yeah, yeah. Never be afraid of the inline if. Um, it is the replacement for the ternary. It's it's a really um, concise way. We talked about it a little bit in our, um, our let tricks episode uh, that we use it often up, up in a let block to conditionally uh, 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 create a, a variable or a binding. Um, without having to have the whole block, um, if if it gets a little longer, you know, we, we tend to, to break it into the you know the the multi line form, um, but it's really great for for inline for inline use. Yeah, and so you can likewise with when when is just really more of a guard, right? If is there's definitely two alternate paths, um, and when is like well, there's just one path. You can use if if there's one path, but often when is more like a guard because that path is going to involve more than one statement. And so you get that do block automatically with when. And so you don't necessarily want to have to have an if and then a do, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it just cuts down on that that boilerplate. So when is right. really the kind of the guard syntax. Yeah, and and, and I, it's, it's, it's interesting... Um, Early on, I would I would have an if, and then I've, I, I if I if I eventually found out that I was like if, and then you know the true condition is some operation, and then else oh it's nil, and then I was like oh wait I can just I can just simplify this, 
Uh, I don't do it as much anymore, but it, early on, I had a lot of 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 single uh, single body if if block or if if statements um, before I really got used to when. And I think when when's really good, like you said, for multiple multiple um, statements. But it's also um, like I it's nice when you're doing like conditional IO, like you're in a body and you've decided what you want to do and you want to, you, you, you want to do three things, three IO, three IO uh, calls, but one of them you only do in a certain, certain situation. Well, you wrap it in a when, and it really kind of reads nicely. It's like, Oh, do these two things. And then when this is true, do that other thing. So it's, it's very concise, but it's also uh, expressive too. Yeah. And so we use, yeah, if you go back to let tricks, you'll hear some of the some of the ways we use win in let blocks. But it's very nice for basically guarding that values exist, and then you're going to evaluate an expression. And you could do that either with if or with when. And and to some extent, it's it's a little bit stylistic if you just have a single expression as the one thing you're going to do. Yeah, one- but it, it returns nil if it's false, right? Like so, if it evaluates to be false, then the win will return nil automatically. And likewise with if, if you don't have an else part and it evaluates to be false, it will return nil automatically too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One 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 thing I also wanted to mention was that, um, like it's easy if you uh in a in an if block where you're you're you know the the, the positive condition is where you want to do a bunch of things. So you know there's a do and there's a whole bunch of you know either I O or you know calls to other functions. But then the else is is a small is a small case. And um, so often in those, in those times, we'll actually flip it around and use if not so that we get, we get rid of the, the, um, the small case early on, because otherwise it kind of dangles off down toward the bottom. Um, and, and it's really hard to understand where that, where that, what that ties back to. Um, and, and so that's, that's, it's a, it's a good case for really being able to understand uh, what, what, what the point is. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth noting for uh, all the jokes that get made about closure and Lisp in parentheses. Closure certainly has a lot of ways to help you get rid of parentheses, and the if dash not macro or a special form. I think actually that one's a macro. It it helps you. <laughs> it helps you get rid of a, a layer of parentheses of having to you know put the not uh, macro uh, around your expression. You know, you just do if not, which is nice, and of course. Like we must also mention like if and when both have the the let forms too. So if let and when let for when you have an expression that is going to produce a truthy like a value. So it's either going to produce a value or nil. And then so you want to both like here's something I know I want to do if it produced a value and I want to go and do it and I, I need to bind that value at the same time. So So it's another way of of avoiding a, a layer of nesting, right? You don't have to put a let block in which you define the thing and then put the if expression inside of that let block. You just use if let and when let. And of course, there's the sum, if sum, when sum forms of those two. If your truthy value might be a, a Boolean or a nil. Yeah, I think I think all of those are really good examples of of where idioms, you know, eventually turn into you know, um, core functions 
like you know th- there probably was a lot of a lot of times i mean it might have been before 1.0 so they probably all showed up at 1.0 but um where there wasn't a let block and then an if inside and then a let block and then a when inside and you know it's like wait a second we could we could we had this happens a lot we probably should make it something that saves parentheses you know because we only have a certain number of them we want to we want to conserve parentheses uh for future generations (laughs) (laughs) of lispers you know um and and it yeah i think you know there's also there's other there's other ways that you can also get rid of parentheses and i think again go back to the let the let tricks um uh episode because that really we talk about a lot of them and um and it's really it's funny how many times you can save parentheses and make functions more concise and make it easier to read all at the same time. And it's, it's, it ends up making a closure even more powerful, I think. Um, yeah. And it's not just parentheses. It is nice to get rid of some of that visual noise, but it's also nesting. And especially in functional programming languages where every expression can return a value, nesting can become harder and harder and harder to reason about. Because you can have an expression that is built on a few sub-expressions, which are built on some more sub-expressions, <laughs> which are built on some more sub-expressions. And the next thing you know, your brain is like trying to keep track of intermediate states of 12 different nested sub-expressions. And you just, you have no idea. <laughs> like, what is this expression doing? Yeah. So, so, like, nesting really can be the, the enemy um, and it comes from one of the greatest features of functional programming. Everything everything produces an expression. So it really encourages you. Like you find the, the longer uh, you spend in Clojure Code, the more you want to create little tiny functions that have helpful names that describe what their computational purpose is. Yeah. And then you want to string all those together into something that reads very well. And and make sense conceptually, right? In 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 the vocabulary of your domain, you know, build build up the language to the vocabulary of your domain, and you won't have to think about the language anymore. You'll just be thinking about your problem, and I think that's a really powerful thing in a lot of languages. Like you can do that in any language, but I th- I feel like closure really doesn't get it doesn't doesn't. There's not a lot of incidental like ways you have to satisfy the language to get there. You can just make those names and just go. Um, in your your point about getting rid of nesting um, is is I think a good way of kind of segueing into the the other three functions or macros we want to talk about cond cond p and case is um, so you so there's lots of situations where we where we have like a, you know a bag of ingredients we've made in our let block and now we need to make decisions about what we're going to do and and oftentimes it's like three or four decisions we want to make so. We, we could do, you know, if the first decision and then else, if the second decision and then if the third decision. And well, now, now we're into wasting parentheses and nesting levels. And, um, and so these, these, these three are really good ways of, of squashing that down and making it more concise. Yeah, definitely the nesting gets difficult to reason about. And then also sometimes once you, once you get rid of that nesting using something like case, con, or con, p, there, there is a consistency between each of the conditionals that you can draw out. So, so it makes it easier because you're not repeating that over and over. So like, for example, with case, case is really all about matching a value based on equality. And, and it, has, it has this sort of gotcha. The gotcha is each, each of the possible alternatives has to be a compile time literal. It's nice, though, because unlike Java, it doesn't have to be a primitive. It, do, it doesn't have to be 
like an int or a long or something like that. It, you can you can map compile time literals of maps or compile time literals of lists of values. So you could have a literal that is a list of maps with integers in them, <laughs> with the string keys and integer values, right? So you can have very <laughs> rich literals, but but they they can't have any variables in them, Ooh. right? But but the the consistency there is is a quality. So I have a thing, and it could be equal to one of five different possible options, and depending on which one it's equal to, I want to do a different thing for each one, and so so by exploiting the consistency and comparisons, you get a nice succinct thing with case that, that also reads very well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, cases, I often think of cases as being the nearest analog we have to what other languages have as a switch statement. Um, but, but I feel like it's more powerful uh, for reasons that you're talking about, but also you can have, you know, a list of things and it'll, it'll match, mul- match multiple, mul- multiple cases uh, or multiple values. Um, we, we often use it uh, by the way, I think rich literals would be a really good uh, closure band name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> rich literals. <laughs> um, it's going on our band name list. But we, I gotta add um, it now. We often, like a lot of our, our, our applications are structured around pipelines. And, and the, the, the way that we pass data back and forth or through those pipelines is we, have, we, we, we call them messages. You know, I know a totally original name. Um, and every message has a type. And so almost all of our individual workers just have a case statement where we case match on the, the type of the message we received. And then, then the end of the line is go, here's, here's the handler for that, that case. And here's the handler for that case. And here's the handler for that case. And so you can look at that case statement as not only is it efficient, but it's also, it's a table of contents for what this worker can handle. And so um, there's, there's, there's lots of cases where, (laughs) where we have um, these, these things and it's, it's, it's a nice concise way of mapping the code, but it's also a nice, it's a, it's a reference for us as well. Yeah, definitely. And so it once again, like in Clojure, it isn't necessarily just about computational efficiency. It's about readability. And so, yes, case is computationally very efficient because it, it's matching against these compile time literals and optimizations have been done. But like you say, it really reads very nicely as a table of, of contents, a table of alternatives. And, and we end up using case a lot when we have um, different nominals that represent different possible states of things, right? Or, or like different possible event types that, that have to go through something, right? So it's like, okay, well, we have an event. It could be of many different types. And if we're not writing a multi-method to handle this, which is go back a few more episodes <laughs> and, and look up def, def method and all that. But um yeah, you know, case, it's like, okay, well, we could have these five different event types. We want to handle them differently. Or this thing could be in these four different states. And so depending on what state is in, we need to do a different state transforming calculation to produce the next state. And and those are keywords typically in the things that we handle. And so it's just a very nice index of possible states and their outcomes. Yeah, it's interesting you should mention multi-methods. Um, you could use multi-methods as the same level, but um, not only is the table now then spread out among the multi-method 
the deaf method dispatches. Um, sometimes each of those cases have different requirements, and so if you have if you force them all to have the same uh, function signature, which a def- which multi methods do, you end up with a lot of wasted parameters in those functions. You know, func- you're passing stuff to functions without um, without needing to, and so case is a nice succinct way of 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 dispatching, like you said, you know, m- multiple different um, paths that might be wildly different. Uh, in implementation. Yeah, like especially if you have state nominals, that's typically closed, right? Wh- whatever your state handling logic is, it doesn't necessarily have to be open. And so if it's if it's closed, you know, you don't because like event handling, it could be open. We could get a new type of event in the system that could be defined in the future. So we want to leave it open. But for state handling logic, for that thing to be sound, we typically want to be able to handle all the possible states. <laughs> and so, so for things that are closed like that, it's even better to put it's well, I find it even more co- convenient to put those in a case statement because it's a, it's a clear enumeration of the possibilities all concisely, like right there in front of you, instead of scrolling up and down <laughs> and looking through all your code or uh, figuring out how to turn on that really annoying code folding feature in your editor I think, so that you can try to see them all next to each other. I think you mean that really useful code folding <laughs> you can see which sides <laughs> no, of the no, fence I, we're I, on. No, no, I definitely meant annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, and I and I think so. I think the 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 time when you when you reach where you, a case won't work is when you have um, uh, expressions where you need to evaluate those conditions, the, the 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 values, so to speak. Right. There's a variable in it. There's right. some kind of there's some kind of non-constant right. in that expression, and, and and that you need to compare against. Right. And then, so that so that that cre- pretty clearly goes towards uh, cond p, because cond p basically cond p takes a, um, a a predicate and then the first arc for that predicate, and every every and then pairs and every and the first element of every pair is put is as the second argument in that predicate, and um, so a cond p that acts just like case but slower <laughs> is you know cond p equals and then the variable you're checking for um well yeah it's it's like you have a consistency right you're you're going to you're you're saying okay all of all of these different situations they differ based on a difference in equality so my the function i hand to cond p would be equal right and then it's going to it's going to call the equal function. So you know it's a macro rewriting beauty, right? So, but effectively conceptually, it's going to call equals with then the option that you provided it as the first argument, and then the other option um, that that was that is being compared against is the second argument, right? Yeah. And so, and then if that expression evaluates to be truth, truthy, true, right? Then it will execute the the resulting the the resulting body associated with that. Right, and then stop. It won't it won't continue on. I think it's a it's it's o- only one of right. those cases or one, only one of those situations is going to be handled. You know, right. yeah, first yeah, one wins. is good for when there's a re- like it's the same test, but you have results that are not compile time. And and I think it's actually pretty rare. We 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 don't really use cond p very much. And I was actually looking through some of the usages of usages of cond p, and there's a couple of them that could be case because um, we just use cond p equals. Um, 
Yeah, we actually have a lot of con p equals where somehow our table has devolved down to constants. <laughs> so we could have just switched it to a k statement instead. Right. Now, now, now. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, well, I was going to say con p does get interesting when you start thinking about non equality cases. Right. So, so definitely like the most obvious code transition is from a k statement to a cont p equals because you needed some variable in one of your expressions, your equality expressions. But when, like, for example, you can use like re matches and then you have, have a string and then you have a list of regular expressions as, as your possible selectors. So that's like a really handy way of, of like, for example, if you're writing some kind of parser you know, some kind of string parsing, you, you, you have, you have this subject string in there and then you have a bunch of possible different, uh, things that it could be. And so you can use RE matches to, to use regular expressions to figure out which thing it's going to be. Right, right. That is really interesting. Yeah. I think it's good to read through the examples on the, on the, the cheat sheet on that, because I think that in this case, it's a pretty good way of like expanding your way to beyond equality. Um, but one thing that you, so you bring up the break expression, I think it's a really cool use case. The problem I have a lot with, with con and con P and case for that matter is that the, the, the second, like the, the, the code that gets evaluated when the condition is true doesn't have access to the result of the condition. Like in this case, rematches. I want, I, 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 it matched. I want to now, like say I have capture groups in there. I want to actually use those capture groups. Well, if, if I use rematches, I have to then re, <laughs> re rematch. I have to re uh, uh, process that regular expression against the string in order to get those, those, um, those capture groups right. out. And so I don't, I don't think there's any, any of these kind of forms or these kind of um, macros that that give you access to the the result of the expression in your in your um, in the body, I guess would would be the better better better. Right, it's it. kind of like if if doesn't either, right? That's thus the if let, and right. so definitely that's one of one of the limitations. And and what is this cond thing that you mentioned? I don't think we've talked about that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was just saying we should have you know cond p let and case let. And, you know, I mean, why don't we, t- <laughs> maybe, right. maybe that's not a popular enough thing. Um, that's why we don't have those yet, yet. Yes. Yeah, so cond, yes. so cond is, I think cond is the most flexible. Like it's basically y- when you have um, different tests you want to perform. And I often find these in functions where we have a let block that has like three or four bindings. You know, we, we've collected our ingredients and now we need to decide what, what our future course of action is. And, and, and it does, it's not a simple, and that's not a, a, the result of a single function call that's, you know, that's the same. It's, it's a bunch of different yeah. checks. It's, it's, cond is definitely the thing that is replacing nested ifs, you know? So, so if you're, okay, if it's, if it's nil, then I want to do this. Else, if it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can't think of examples. If it's equal to 42, well, now I want to do this. <laughs> Else, if it's, and, and so cond is the thing that really allows you to flatten out a, a, a succession of tests where where your whole goal is the, when it finally matches, it evaluates and it, and it gets out. So, so it's like you're weeding out all the possible. With every line, you're like, okay, 
let me get rid of it being nil right off the bat. So the rest of the test, it won't be nil. And then the next one, okay, let me get rid of it being 42 because that's special. And then the rest of one, we know it's not nil. We know it's not 42, right? And so it's, it's that same kind of thinking that you would have with nested ifs. Yeah, I think... Um... I, w- I was thinking about a good example because we, u- we, u- we use con quite, quite a bit uh, in our code. And um, the, the example that I, that I came up with was when we are processing yeah, incoming game, game data, sports data. You know, we're, 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 we're tracking a live game that's actually happening right now. And uh, if we had all of, the, all of the data for the game like all at once, we wouldn't use, like we, we could just use a reducer or something like that to, 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 to process that data. But when the data comes in, it's coming in piecemeal because it's actually happening right now. We, we basically have like a, you know, a, a state inside of our, 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 our process that is like where we were when we left off before we got the last event. We get, get a new event. So now we have, we have the stuff we've collected so far and we have this new event. And now we need to do decisions based on that. So like, is the game in progress? Oh, if the game is in progress, then I'm going to add that to my data. If the game is starting, oh, this game isn't in my, you know, in my data. And now I need to add it to it. Like there's, there, there, there's different, different decisions need to be made as far as how to integrate that data into the data I already have. And, um, and then Sometimes you you get to the point where you, there's nothing to do with it. You just drop it on the floor. So there's also an else that you can use with cond, um, and and then just and to, and then just wrap your result up. Um. Yeah, and so it it really it's great for those situations where you need to go through a progression of possibility and and funnel off each one based on something, and and it's it's great for handling those edge cases it's kind of like okay let's get rid of this edge case let's get rid of this edge case let's get rid of this edge case okay now now we'll have the the expression that can be the more general expression for all the other cases right order order definitely matters yeah you definitely want to make it more general to more specific well so it is also then kind of worth noting um, some some of these things don't tolerate very well, like not finding a match. <laughs> so, for example, yeah, um, in in case if it doesn't find a match, it freaks out a little. <laughs> I I believe, right? Is that case? I this is a problem. I can't remember this off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, yeah, case and cond p are the two that are a little more like a chihuahua. They get a little, they're a little jumpy. Um, the nice thing about cond is you can just you know. You can just leave off, and it'll just, it'll just return nil. It'll 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 be helpful, or not. I mean, if you want to have a default case um, in cond, <laughs> you just use colon else. The colon else is the is the ADM for, you know, I haven't matched anything else. Right, because because that's true. You know, you you could put any keyword. You could put uh, a keyword that's all right. Just do this. You know, in anything that evaluates to be truthy will will count. It doesn't actually have to have anything in it. it. Doesn't have to use the variable under inspection or anything. But yeah, in case you do need to provide a default expression, if you don't want case to freak out and throw an exception, if it didn't match something, so it really does force you to like you you shall match or else. <laughs> One shall match. 
<laughs> uh, for the second episode in a row, we've had a um, Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, well. so yeah, hope, hopefully you found this tour of, of conditionals helpful. Yeah, I think we've talked long enough. Um, I think it'd be fun to hear if you have any uh, any very interesting or cool uses of of these these conditionals. I mean, there's a bunch of other ones like you know, condlet. Yeah, sorry, not condlet. Uh, cond arrow, and there's other 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 mixes that and mat and things that 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 you can venture down. But um, it'd be interesting to see how you guys uh, out there. Um, get rid of nesting and make things more concise and readable with these conditionals. Well, I think con threading is interesting enough. It probably merits its own episode. <laughs> it, uh, yes. it, con threading is, is very, very unusual and different. We'll just, li- maybe we'll just leave it at that. I actually really like, it. yes, let's, let's, let's stop talking about it right now. <laughs> I think this is uh, already one of our longest episodes ever. So, so maybe that's why we just waited to talk about conditionals. Maybe it wasn't going to be so trivial. It was going to be so integral <laughs> to everything that you do. I mean, where are you in programming without branching, right? It's not going to be very interesting. Exactly, exactly. All right. Well, if you have a question or anything you want to tell us about, uh, you can send us a tweet at Closure Design or an email to feedback at closuredesign.club. Um, you can also hop into our Closure Design Dash podcast channel on the Closurian Slack and ask us a question there. Uh, we have had lots of really good discussions lately. Um, it's been really fun to see how people have um, have have reacted to the episodes, but also think we ask questions and and we've had some good some good even deeper dives. Yeah, we would love to uh, hear from you there. If you have a interesting take on conditionals, just go ahead and post it. Get get the conversation started. We, we share our thoughts here, but we'd love to hear your thoughts there. Um, definitely, you can uh, go on the web also, and you can find all the show notes and all that to at closuredesign.club. And I, I believe you, uh, people can email us. Is that, is that right? <laughs> did, we, did we give out our email address yet? Uh, yes, we only do it once an episode, so we've already, we've already hit our quota. <laughs> well, I guess we're just out of things to talk about. We must be. We must have reached the end. Is this the end? <laughs> I don't know. It depends. I'll have to go uh, see if that's the case. <laughs> well, when we reach the end of the episode, we have concluding remarks to make. So, in this case, <laughs> we'll be back next week for even more closure banter. We look forward to having you joining us. Join us then for that. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>